You're listening to Health Pilots, where we interview people pursuing new solutions to healthcare in low-income communities. In spite of significant challenges, our guests are passionate and relentless in doing things in a new way. In each episode, you'll hear how they use techniques from design thinking, how they work with tech startups, and how they create a culture of innovation in their organization. Every interview offers practical advice and new ideas you can apply today. I'm your host, Chris Conley. Welcome to Health Pilots, and thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Ray Pedden from the Center for Care Innovations. We're thrilled to be joined by Aristotle Manon, who is the founder of Boswell. Boswell is a digital health company that improves coordination of care for Medicaid patients and guides decision-making for their associated health plans. Boswell's platform leverages frontline, community-based organizations to engage vulnerable individuals at the point of care, assess them for social and environmental health determinants, and triages the highest-risk patients for cost-effective interventions. Ari, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us on Health Pilots today. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. We would really like to hear a bit about yourself and your journey and what you've gone through as you as you put together Boswell and really thought about uh, the platform that Boswell is interested in offering in the safety net community and broadly uh, throughout the industry. Sure, happy to. So I started out in a totally different, you know, part of healthcare. I studied molecular biology as an undergrad and was always into biomedical research and biotech. And when I got out of college, I spent three years working at a cancer research institute, and we were involved in early stage drug discovery. I learned a lot about data analytics and a lot of the new predictive models out there uh, for identifying novel therapeutics. But I also wanted to kind of get out of my comfort zone and see another part of healthcare and also kind of have a, a direct impact with what I was doing and work with patients directly. So uh, in the spring of 2014, I quit my job and I started volunteering with community-based organizations around Boston. Uh, these are mobile health clinics, food pantries, shelters, uh, churches, detoxes, really any of those touch points in the streets to those in need. And uh, in the course of doing that, I, I, you know, I really opened my eyes to a lot of different aspects of healthcare I really hadn't witnessed before. In June of 2014, I was uh, working with a mobile health clinic in East Boston. This is actually the first community-based organization I was working with. It's run by first-year BU medical students. Uh, every Thursday night, they go out to East Boston and provide you know, food, toiletries, and clothing to a cohort of about 40, 50 individuals, most of whom are low-income on Medicaid, you know, hanging on by a thread. East Boston is an area of the city that's you know, geographically isolated, one. And two, it has the highest liquor store to grocery store ratio. So it's a metric <laughs> for uh, you know, a medical hotspot. And um, a lot of vulnerable, vulnerable people are out there. The very first person I met while I was working with this clinic uh, was a guy named Huey. And Huey is someone that really, an inspiration for Boswell and someone that really, uh, you know, taught me about a lot of things at the safety net level. Uh, at the time I met him, he was 57 years old. He was sitting on a bench and drinking Listerine. He was wearing a green hospital gown because he was a frequent flyer to Boston Medical Center. He was homeless. He had food poverty. You know, probably had some depression, other mental health issues as well. And every Thursday night I'd see him and he was kind of stuck in this vicious cycle. And bear in mind, there are, you know, 40 to 50 people that come through every Thursday night, but a handful of people are like Huey that are just kind of caught and can't really escape. And for six months, I knew Huey. And then one evening he passed away in, on a, in a parking lot. And that was that. And that was kind of shocking to me because that's the first time I really experienced that. But what was more shocking and saddening at the same time was that it didn't take very long for, you know, Huey 2.0 to emerge. You know, another guy sitting on that bench in East Boston, drinking Listerine, also frequent flyer to Boston Medical Center. And Oh my. I guess as far as this, uh, the social disparities exist, you know, those kind of that vicious cycle is also going to exist at the front line. Um, and so Boswell started because I noticed that all the organizations I was working with, 
Uh, they were pen and paper record keeping, or really nothing at all. Uh, there are a handful of more sophisticated, larger nonprofits that had some sort of electronic intake forms. But for the most part, these are mission-driven, impact-oriented nonprofit organizations. And uh, so the initial aim was to just address their record keeping needs, and that's how Boswell started. Hmm. So really then, you're talking about Boswell as an application platform that is in the hands of pardon my, my description, but in the hands of the street worker, in the hands of the person who's actually in front of the patient in the streets in East Boston or whatever community we happen to be located in that's really interviewing those folks like Huey. Absolutely. So you give them a platform and you're doing the interview. What, what kind of barriers exist in that conversation with the Hueys of the world? Right. Um, are they afraid to talk? Are they willing to talk? Will they share? Can they? How, how difficult is it to learn what's going on and how much rapport does the clinical worker, the health worker need to have with a Huey? Right. I think one of the hallmarks of the safety net community-based organizations is the relationships that are built and uh, the great amount of trust that's there between you know, the client and the, and the social worker that's doing the intake and providing services. I think that trust somewhat diminishes as you get further along into the healthcare system and into the subspecialties. And, you know, Huey went to the emergency department maybe 150 times a year, um, but they didn't really know about his backstory, uh, what led him to be where he is. And they also, you know, until the point at which he kind of crashes and, and goes through that, you know, crisis mode where he goes to the hospital, they're not really witnessing that deterioration in his life. And so those touch points, the, the clinics, pantries, and shelters, they're kind of seeing this day in and day out. And as such, uh, there's a lot of trust there. And so we leverage that trust to you know, collect a lot of information, particularly social environmental risk factors that otherwise you know, missed or just not captured at all. So in a sense, then, uh, what you've done is you've, you've replaced the paper system with an electronic system that we hope is user-friendly for the health worker. Absolutely. And, and or replaces the memory system. They don't even use paper and pencil. They just remember Huey. It's a lot of work now. Right. Yeah. So is it that simple to implement? You simply hand the person a smartphone and say, tap on this app or hand them a tablet and say, open this application and everything is very intuitive or is it, is there a training? Is there, how difficult is it for the community health worker in the street? Number one, number two, what's the reaction of the patient? What's the reaction of Huey when you show up poking at your iPhone or, you know, using a tablet or something like that? Sure. So, you know, in the fall of 2014, a few months after I'd worked with a few of these organizations, I approached some of the organizations I was working with, uh, a few clinics and uh, pantries. And I said, you know, would you be interested in piloting an application? And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, my next door neighbor, he's a software engineer. And so he was able to actually build a few prototypes of the applications. And we, we kind of, you know, vetted those prototypes with the uh, community-based organization initially, got their feedback, iterated on our prototypes, and, and then eventually deployed them. And I think we, you know, we saw a few advantages to them initially. One is that, like, you know, the efficiency is, is uh, compromised when you're using pen and paper. One is that like, you're, you're losing a lot of information. When you lose a lot of that information, you underreport data, you get underfunded. The other thing is they are required to report a lot of that information anyway. So they, uh, they have to transcribe it into an electronic form uh, at the end of the fiscal year or at the end of the quarter. So there's a lot of like, you know, there's limited bandwidth as it is for the social workers. So they were willingly um, adopting our application. The other thing is, you know, we offered it for free and we said uh, it's always going to be free. 
there's no need for us to be charging, you know, the safety net organizations that are doing so much and on such little resources. And I think that itself was um, kind of a catalyst for, you know, us getting pilots. I think uh, as we've continued to do this, we've realized how different uh, many of these organizations are in their intake needs, sometimes in like the uh, services that they provide and, uh, you know, the data they need to report. So we're continuing to modify our application accordingly. So you've, you've had the experience collecting the data. You've had experience on the street and the community health workers seem to be happy with the ability to collect and aggregate the information and report it out. What impact, what benefits have now come from that for the Hueys? We envision the data we collect uh, to be really valuable in helping to forecast uh, how utilized is the healthcare system. I think there's a big disconnect between the health systems and the health plans that are really instruments for delivering care and the community-based organizations that are actually on the streets doing this every single day. And, uh, you know, there's a growing evidence base that suggests that social monitor risk factors are indicative of, you know, outcomes and costs for a number of patients, particularly that, you know, the super-utilizer population in Medicaid, the sickest 5% that drives 50% of costs, really the Hueys of the world. And we envision, you know, using the data that we collect at the front line to risk stratify population in real time and triage people for earlier interventions. And that's something that, you know, can be acted upon through a health plan or health system that has, you know, care coordinators and social workers, uh, because it's really hard to find the needles in the haystack. And folks like Huey, it, you know, it takes a while for them to, you know, even become a blip on the radar for, for the health plan, because a lot of the analysis that's being done right now is retrospective analysis of claims data. And given the lag time in claims data, which can be up to four months, when you do a retrospective analysis on, on someone like Huey, in the, in the span of four months it took to even issue the first claims, you know, he might have already gone to the hospital 30 or 40 times. And it's, it's really, it's crisis mode that folks go into when they end up in the hospital. And unless you can kind of stop that early or identify a risk factor signature or pattern of behavior earlier on, uh, any sort of intervention is really palliative and delayed. And that's what happened with Huey, you know. At a certain point, a guy that's been to the hospital 150 times, who's hit his head on the pavement, you know, probably even more than that, is drinking Listerine for the past few years. Unfortunately, you know, there's not as much you can do to him as opposed to what you could have done to him a few years earlier. And that's where we want to have an op yeah, opportunity to kind of intervene earlier and improve outcomes. You're right. So how, how have things come along in your ability to predict future high utilizers based upon the data that are collected by your community health workers? Right. So it took us... Uh, some time to really figure out the value of the data we collected. Because as I mentioned, you know, we really just want to address the record keeping needs earlier on. And we realized that in order to make this sustainable and scalable and continue to offer this at no cost to other community-based organizations, we needed to figure out the value chain and who benefits the most from this data layer and you know, the decision-making, how that could change, you know, given the data layer. Uh, we approached hospitals originally. Uh, hospitals, you know, their incentives are, a little bit different in the sense that, you know, there's still very much fee-for-service, particularly the emergency departments. You know, there are a lot of folks that are, you know, flooding the emergency departments and a lot of the Hueys of the world, but they still get paid, uh, especially with the Medicaid expansion population, uh, for the Hueys that come through the emergency department. And that's, uh, it's kind of a health economics cash 22 to go to them and say, look, we're going to keep Huey out of the hospital. Well, it turns out they still get paid 60% of the bill, 100% of the time, if Huey does continue to go to the hospital. So I think at the top of the value chain are, are the payers. And in a place like Massachusetts, where I'm based, you have Medicaid-managed care organizations that receive uh, capitated upfront payments from MassHealth, the state Medicaid agency. 
and they might receive somewhere like, you know, $3,500 per patient per year on, you know, a number of patients. And it's up to them to risk stratify the population. And it's the inability to identify a person like Huey earlier on and, you know, reroute him out of the hospital that's very costly to them and it's very costly to him. And so I think that's really, you know, our target customer, really depending on what state we're in, you have Medicaid ACOs or Medicaid ACOs or MCOs. Uh, intersect our data layer with claims data that they have and show that the predictions that we make are actually correlated to outcomes. So as we think about this in the provider community, and you bring up hospitals as a good example, uh, there are community health centers, there are clinics, there are for-profits. Um, as we get into the provider organization, everybody seems to be focused on innovation and healthcare. Given your experience and given the fact that you're actually doing work in Boston and beginning to get some traction around what it is you're doing in this particular space. What advice would you give to the provider community about innovating in healthcare in light of your experience thus far? Sure. And I'd also like advice from the provider community themselves too, because we're trying to learn more about the challenges and pain points that they have in coordinating care for this really complex population. But I think it comes down to really just, you know, seeing the problem at the front line. I think uh, oftentimes you know, the provider-patient relationship is confined to, like, you know, the four walls of a clinic. And, you know, the reason why these safety net community-based organizations are so much more important these days is because there is kind of this deficit of providers. Uh, in a place like East Boston, a number of the folks, they, they might be covered by Medicaid or have some sort of coverage uh, after expansion, but they don't necessarily even know who their primary care physician is. And uh, the reimbursement rates are really low, so, like, you know, a lot of primary care physicians in a lot of places don't necessarily take uh, the vulnerable Medicaid population. I think it's estimated that there's something like 30,000 deficit of primary care physicians. It's going to double in the next 10 years. Um, so these safety net community-based organizations are all the more important. And I think that's where you can really learn about, you know, the, the vulnerabilities of this patient population and like the things that, you know, contribute to their complexities, why they might not be able to adhere to a certain medication, why they can't make it an appointment, you know, why, um, they're stuck in this vicious cycle. And I think just going out there and seeing it has a lot of value. So there are a lot of other entrepreneurs that are out there that like you and Boswell and, and, and really trying to address some of these needs. What advice would you give to your fellow entrepreneurs out there? I mean, they're not providing care, but they're very interested in trying to help facilitate the change in healthcare. What, what advice would you give to the entrepreneur? Right. Uh, I would say keep an open mind when kind of evaluating an area or a problem you want to go after. Don't pigeonhole yourself into one specific issue uh, and try to like, you know, have this preconceived notion about what your solution might be. I think it's worth just, you know, similar to what I said about the providers, just kind of going and observing and seeing, you know, what's out there. You know, I just kind of stumbled into this, but I was, I was really just observing what was happening at the community-based level. I noticed that there was a really obvious issue where there's, you know, a lot of data that's being captured, but it's not, you know, in a formal way. It's not an electronic way that's like, you know, it's maintained. And it also seemed like, you know, there's, it's, it's obvious that, you know, these folks have preventable issues. And uh, at the front line, uh, there's limited bandwidth to kind of coordinate the care for the, for the Hueys of the system. So, I, you know, I just really spent a lot of time observing and asking as many questions as possible. And also trying to speak the language of the community-based organizations to kind of get more of their in- insight. You know, it's really a, a relationship-building component that's important uh, to, you know, understand how they interact with their patients and also, you know, to get more insight from them too. 
So if our listeners want to learn more about you and your journey in Boswell and uh, figure out how they might want to take advantage of some of the things that you've learned in your journey thus far, how should they get in touch with you? How should they you know, schedule some time to, to learn more? Sure. I'm always happy to meet or chat with anyone over the phone. My email is Aristotle, A-R-I-S-C-O-T-L-E at Boswell, B-O-S-W-E-L-L dot I-O. Uh, we should have a website live sometime in early May. It's under construction, but that's Boswell, B-O-S-W-E-L-L dot I-O. Uh, you can also tweet at us at uh, Boswell underscore I-O. And uh, yeah, happy to connect with anyone that has questions. Anything else you'd like to add for our group of listeners? Uh, it's really been a pleasure to be part of this podcast. And, uh, you know, we're, we're an early stage endeavor right now. We're really just, uh, you know, starting to launch some of these pilots with ACOs and MCOs uh, where we're intersecting our data layer with claims data to actually show that we have a predictive model. So hopefully we'll have some more updates in the next few months. Well, thank you very much for taking time today, Ari. I know everybody listening will be inspired by your journey. I think they will also uh, appreciate some of the insights that you shared around Boswell and, and what you've learned being in the streets of Boston. And uh, we really do appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. To everybody listening, you can find a summary of the conversation with Ari and relevant links on the episode page. So if you're not listening to this on our website, please visit www.theinnovationhubs.org to find the show notes and all our other episodes. Thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll catch up with you on our next episode. Have a great day. You've been listening to Health Pilots, a podcast that brings you ideas, inspiration, and advice to pilot new solutions for care in the safety net. Subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. We hope you take what you learn from the show and try it on your own. For more great ideas and inspiration, visit our website, www.theinnovationhubs.org. While there, subscribe with your email to receive our latest content as soon as it's released. Our show is made possible by the California Healthcare Foundation. Visit them at www.chcf.org. Health Pilots is a production of the Center for Care Innovations. Learn about all their great work to foster innovation in the safety net at www.careinnovations.org. We'll see you on the next episode of Health Pilots.